going to be with my maker my race is finished and then she told me she said Brent don't let my death stop you from fulfilling your calling you, you need to continue to fulfill your calling and um, don't let my business stop you from fulfilling your calling welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries our vision is winning souls making disciples and planting churches it's Tuesday where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, Use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. Hello and welcome back to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This is Testimony Tuesday, and I am your host, Pastor Adam Dragoon from Virginia Beach, Virginia. We are blessed and privileged today to have another wonderful guest, And that is Pastor Brent Harris. We want to welcome you. Thank you for coming on the show, sir. (laughs) Well, we appreciate your time. You are actually our third pastor that we have interviewed from the nation of Vietnam. Uh, But uh, you are by far the the newest one to show up on the scene. (laughs) So um, I I think God might be trying to say something to somebody about Vietnam. It could be, I don't know, but uh, to have three of them almost in a row, it just happened to line up that way, uh, that we have, uh, we had Pastor TJ Horta, we had Pastor Eric Barrientes, and and now you. So, uh, so we're so glad that uh, you were able to join us. Yeah, we're excited to see what God's doing here in this great nation, and so we're excited that you were able to uh, interview some of uh us here from Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I, I'm excited to get into the reasons why you're there. And uh, but before we do that, why don't you give us the uh, the classic conference style sermon and introduce yourself to our audience and those who may not know you. Well, hello everyone. My name is Brent uh, Harris. My uh, wife and I uh, are pioneering here in the capital city of Hanoi, Vietnam. We just arrived here in early February of 2023 uh, after having spent uh, some time in the nation of China. We are out of uh, Pastor Richard Ruby's church in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, we are very, very excited to see what God is doing, uh, particularly in in the Southeast uh, Asia uh, region. And again, like I said earlier, it's just a great honor and a privilege to be here with you. Amen. So um, I asked you earlier if you had listened to uh, any of these episodes before, and you said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And so <laughs> I don't always get that, but how, how long have you been a, a listener of the podcast? Uh, I've been a listener for about uh, two years. And oh, wow. So, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, over the years, you've had several people that I've personally known uh, uh, join. And then uh, recently, people from San Antonio, from the San Antonio Church, have been messaging me, "Hey, when are you going to get on this on on this podcast?" And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, 
just up in the coming workout. So. Well, you know, uh, there's there's 3,500 churches in our fellowship. That means there's 3,500 pastors. That means there's about 3,450 <laughs> that I haven't interviewed yet. So there's a lot of them out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we appreciate you uh, coming on the show and making the time. For, for me, it's about 8 p.m. here on the East Coast, which means it's like uh, 7 a.m. there, correct? That's correct. So thank you for waking up. That's a, that's an awesome thing. We appreciate you uh, spending this time with us. So um, you, you also did something that was uh, different than every other pastor I've interviewed, which which is that you gave me some amazing details to work with. <laughs> you sent me ahead of time. So uh, I can tell that you're, you're an organized, detail-oriented person. So I appreciate that. That is not me. We have different personalities. <laughs> But uh, but why don't you tell us a little bit about how you grew up, how and where, and what, what was life like for, for little Brent? So I grew up in uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, and uh, my parents uh, actually met uh, in the San Antonio church. Um, my mom got saved uh, in 1984. Uh, at the time, there was probably only about uh 12 to 15 uh, people in the San Antonio church. And then uh, my father uh, came about two years later. By that time, the church had grown a little bit more to about 50 uh, or so. And, uh, or as I'm told, they got married by uh, my pastor, Pastor Ruby, in 1988. And, uh, and I came about two years later. And so I grew up uh, in church, um, grew up kind of... Uh, uh, in originally in a, a poor side of town, but God helped us and we quickly were able to move to a middle class side of town. And uh, God blessed my mom with uh, two businesses, uh, uh, two travel businesses. And um, and so I grew up uh, just uh, with my brother and I, it's just the two of us, my younger brother and I. And, uh, and I think immediately there was, you know, as a church kid, there was the uh, idea, hey, one day, who knows what God can do with your life. There was, Pastor, we did a very good job of instilling vision uh, into the youth um, uh, of our church that one day God can do something great uh, with you. And he used his life as an example, uh, which was always encouraging. And so as I watched my pastor's life and heard his story and his testimony, it was a. Uh, it seemed like something attainable that that I could reach for, uh, and uh, and perhaps one day be a, a young pastor such as he was. Well, he was a very young pastor in 1984, I suppose. Um, when did when did he take over the church in San Antonio? So he took over the church in 1988, um, and uh, so obviously my parents were saved under uh, the previous pastor. Um, but yeah, he took over the church in 1988, I believe. Uh, uh, this is going live everywhere. Uh, I believe he was, <laughs> I think, 26, 27 or so when he took over the, the San Antonio church. Yeah. Well, that's um, that, that's stretching way back into the, the history of our fellowship. And um, w- what's interesting to me is that your your parents had a front row seat to you know, the, uh, the juggernaut that is now the San Antonio church and the conference. And, and so 
a, a lot of your story is probably wrapped up in their testimony and, and their commitment to the church early on. Um, can, can you share a little bit of what that looked like? Yeah, you know, I've always been fascinated with uh, the history of uh, particularly my church. And, um, and it was just amazing to see. It's always been amazing to see what God did. And so, uh, as mentioned, Pastor, we took over the church in 1988. Uh, there was already a good group of people there. And according to uh, those that were there, they, they believed immediately that Pastor Reed was going to take the church to, to the next level. Uh, my mom, as soon as Pastor took over the church, went up to him and Yolanda said, hey, we're going to start having conferences here. And, uh, and he said, do, do you know what it takes to, to, to run a conference? In fact, Yolanda asked her, you know what it takes to run a conference? She's like, yeah, a couple of, uh, dozen of donuts and a couple of hotels. That, that's all we need. And, uh, you know, at the time, the church probably had one or two small churches out, but there was that vision, hey, we're about to be something great. And, uh, and, you know, our, our mother church originally is from El Paso. And the idea is, hey, we're, we're, going, to be, we're going to be the next El Paso. We're going to be the next Tucson. And, uh, and Pastor Reed took that vision uh, and brought his own vision as well uh, of that young group of people. And by the time I was born in 1990, the church had already grown to over 100 people. They had already moved and outgrown several buildings and uh and god was doing something uh quite wonderful quite amazing uh in in that church yeah and um so what i know about a little bit about church kid experiences is that you don't always realize what a wonderful thing you're a part of when you're growing up in in it uh, my wife happens to have a, a similar testimony her her dad got saved in the chandler church in 1981 uh, when she was just, you know, less than a year old. So she, she grew up in, in a Chandler church at a similar time when God was doing big miracles there as well. And, you know, it's just we, when you're a, a fish in the ocean, you, you don't really realize how special it is. Do, do, you, do you have memories of, uh, of any, any kind of grasping of what was going on around you? I think so, uh, more or less. I think, you know, uh, because uh, my, my, my parents, particularly my mom was so involved. Uh, you know, uh, I remember, you know, I couldn't say I remember the fir first conference, uh, but I believe it was in 95, 96. Um, but I do remember th those early years of having conferences. We would set up a, a, a tent for the, for the kids. Uh, I remember the, the first international couple that we sent overseas. Uh, which happens to be uh, Andy and Heather Anderson uh, to to South Africa. They were great friends of, of my parents, and so uh, and then obviously just hearing the stories of everyone that was there. My mom was very close with 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 the original uh, group, and uh, they always loved sharing the stories um, of what God was doing. And so I grew up in it, and and. Uh, and, and then obviously you've seen the church grow and, uh, and we, uh, 2000, 2001, we moved to, uh, another building, uh, and, uh, actually temporarily moved to a, a Bible college. And then we moved to, uh, another building, which we were there for about 20 years. And so again, I was, we moved to that building, uh, when I was 10 years old. And so my life grew up in, in uh, 
in, in that previous building until uh, we just completed uh, our newest building, which is uh, we completed that one, uh, moved in last February of 2022. And so I think kind of growing up and seeing all that, seeing people that I saw get saved, disciples sent out, you know, I, re I remember when uh, Pastor Roman Gudetis came into the church and to see his ministry now and what God's doing in his life. I remember uh, Pastor Jeremiah Wacker and Sister Geneva when, when they got married and now to see, uh, you know, their, their life of fruitfulness. And so uh, as a kid, I kind of had a, a backseat pass to watch every everyone kind of grow and mature and get sent out. So one question I have for you, which is... Um being in a in a smaller environment with uh, with Pastor Ruby there that you probably had proximity to him that not a lot of people would would be able to have what are your memories of um you and he and you, you mentioned that uh Miss Yolanda and your mother had a had a relationship D I'm sure that that is a source of um uh strength for you to be able to know him on a, such a personal level uh, can, what what uh, what insights can you remember from that say that because every Sunday morning I would go into Pastor Reed's office and uh, before Sunday school and we would I would get his notes at the time we would do he would give me his notes on a floppy disk and uh, and we'd get uh, the uh, the notes all ready for uh, floppy disk what is this strange thing that you're talking about yeah kids will have to uh, google that uh, that device <laughs> and so we, we we would we would put on a floppy disk but during that time, every morning I had a I had a chance just to talk to Pastor. So sometimes it was just a quick two minute. Hey, here's the notes, and then sometimes it was, Hey, can I just talk to you real quick? This is what's going on in life. This is what's going on in school. And so uh, all the way up until the day uh, we were sent out, practically every morning that Pastor was in town, I, I had the opportunity to be in his office. Uh, almost more Sunday mornings. And so through that, uh, I developed a, a fairly close relationship uh, with Pastor uh, because uh, in a sense, he was, um, he was definitely my spiritual father, but he was also the father that I desperately needed uh, since my father had left. And, uh, and I thank God that one, he, he opened that door for not just me, but my younger brother and I, and, uh, but two, uh, my mom pushed us towards him. And so, uh, one of the things I've seen, um, in, in our church and not just our church and our fellowship sometimes is that when a mother suddenly becomes a single mother, her natural instinct is to protect her children. And I thank God that my mom not only protected us, but pushed us towards, uh, uh the leaders of our church and said, Hey, I can't raise these boys, but there's great men and I have a great pastor that can help raise them. And, uh, and I'm forever grateful and indebted to, to that. That's fantastic. Um, that it, it is a common mistake that when, um, when couples are going through problems and especially, you know, w with children involved, that the tendency is really to isolate and to move away from the things that you need, but your, your mom had the instinct to, to bring you closer in, which was really, really powerful. And I'm wondering if, if, uh, if you would explain to the audience what, 
Um, I, you don't have to go into all the details, obviously, but uh, but what was it like for you as at 15 years old? That that was pretty old for for you to have to wander through that wilderness time of watching your parents, you know, get a divorce. That's that's not an easy thing, and and how you processed all that. Yeah, I, I think it was a it was a challenge. Uh, I, unfortunately, uh, my my father played a a. a uh, a double game uh you know one way he was one way he was a different person at church one way church he was an usher and then at, at home he was uh, a completely uh, a different person and and so we we my brother and i watched kind of and saw his private life whereas unfortunately uh, many of the church members uh they only saw the the life that he projected to them uh, especially that he'd been in the church for so long and so um, I say that because when uh, when my parents began splitting, uh, you know, it, it, it was a kind of a, a challenge uh, because most people didn't know uh, who my father really was. And so but uh, my brother and I did. And uh, and we knew that this was going to be uh, better for uh, for us going forward uh, and that hopefully that through this separation, my father would eventually have his own relationship with God, which he, he did uh, eventually many years later, but that uh, my brother and I and my mom were able to kind of, uh, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, just have some peace in the house and and uh, and, uh, and see what, what God could do in our, in, in our lives. And so through it all, my mom, you know, she was the backbone. She remained strong through it all. And, uh, and again, that came with some incredible support from, from the San Antonio church. And again, people in the church that, that said, Hey, we know that you, you know, my brother was 12 years old at this time and Hey, you guys are about to go, uh, without a father, but you know what, we're going, we're going to teach you how to be men. And, uh, there were several men who said, Hey, we're going to, I remember a young, uh, young man, uh, an older man, uh, he uh, he said, "Hey, I'm gonna take your brother and I, and we're going. I'm gonna teach you how to change the oil in your car. I'm gonna teach you how to change a tire. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna show you how to put a nail in, in, in a fence." And so, just these practical things that that several of the men in our church did uh, to help my brother and I become uh, part of the men who we are. That's powerful. Um, it shows you the, the power of a, a congregation, a body of Christ, that when one member suffers, that the whole whole body suffers along with it. And that that's what a church is supposed to be. We're supposed to, you know, come alongside people when they're when they're in their time of need. So it's it's a wonderful testimony to hear that the San Antonio church did that for your family. I wonder if um if you could talk about your spiritual background as well, so growing up with uh, with uh, you know trouble in the home, what what kind of uh, what kind of spiritual? Obviously, you know you're going to church every Sunday, but uh, but as far as you you know personally, what how did you come to the knowledge of Christ, and what was that like for you? Yeah, uh, great question. So again, my uh, one, my mom had a very very good relationship uh, with God. And, um, and so, uh, you know, plus the fact that my brother and I were able to grow up in church and children's church, and we learned the stories and everything, uh, of that such, 
um, at a very young age, uh, at uh, 10, 11, 12 years old, um, I can't remember what age, I began having these nightmares, um, very demonic nightmares that um, I was going to pass away in my sleep. And so uh, because of those nightmares, uh, uh, I... I began to seek truth, and uh, and so when it when it's truth to a, a a a person of that age, it was hey, I don't want to go to hell, and I understand that there are several other religions out there that believe in in some sort of heaven or hell, and so uh, uh, the internet at that time was barely fairly new, but I decided to start checking out books in my library and start reading on other religions. And I, I began to do uh, my own comprehensive study of, uh, of different religions because I wanted to find the one that was the truth. And, uh, and I'll never forget one of the, the, uh, the eye-opening things for me was as I began to read the Bible, not as a religious book, but as a historical book. And, uh, and you realized, hey, like these stories aren't these stories aren't just fairy tale stories. These aren't just uh, you know poems or 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 these different stories that some religious people wrote, but these these are historical accounts. And uh, and as I came to realize that there was my faith didn't just rely on uh, on uh, on, a, on a God that I couldn't see, but there was enough historical evidence to back that up. Um, it it definitely I came to that point where uh, you know there was too too much evidence for me to deny that 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 Christianity what was uh, or that Jesus was not the way the truth and life. And so it, it was. Uh, and you were how old at this time? I was twelve or thirteen years old, and so I was a little intellectual, twelve or thirteen years old. <laughs> I know. I'm a, I was going to say, I, I don't know any 12-year-olds who are on the existential crisis like you. <laughs> it, well, it, it, you know, like I said, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to make heaven. And, and hey, like, you know, the, the uh, Muslims preach a heaven and, and a hell. Who, who, who was right at that time? And so, um, you know, these, these different religions. And so, um, so like I said, I, I wanted to make sure I picked the right one. And... Uh, and so I remember it, I was, I remember clearly my, my 13th birthday, I said, you know what, I finally understand what I'm doing. Um, and I'm choosing Jesus, not because my parents chose Jesus, not because I grew up in church, but because I really believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. And even if my parents had backslidden at that moment, even if you know, I didn't have a church to go to. I, I knew at that moment I was saved and uh, I was going to find a way to, 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 to be a Christian, even if the, the, the world around me suddenly collapsed somehow. I, it, it was kind of that kind of determination uh, of sort. I wonder if there was one particular piece of evidence that captured your attention more than the rest or, or above all of the rest. Man, I think there, 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 there was a lot. Um, you know, one of the things that I appreciate, Pastor Ruby, is sometimes I would have questions about the Bible. Um, my sixth grade year, 
again, this was kind of during that, that time where I was kind of going through what I was going through, uh, just my own struggle with trying to find out who Christ was, is I would ask Pastor Rui, hey, like, I have a question about this Bible. And maybe it was something like, hey, who wrote the book of Chronicles or who wrote the book of Samuel? Obviously, Samuel passed away when, when Second Samuel was written. And so he would, he would say, hey, why don't you find out and you come back and tell me? And so he challenged me to, to do my own research rather than just give me uh, the answer directly. And, uh, and so uh, because uh, I, I was only homeschooled for one year, but I ha- that one year was, was very crucial to me because it, um, it gave me that time that I needed to, to explore my, my walk with God. And, uh, and explore my faith. And so I think the, the, the evidence that there's just too much historical evidence that, that, that Jesus lived. And, uh, and as C.S. Lewis said, you know, he, he was either who he said he was or he was the, the, the greatest liar who ever lived. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think understanding uh, who Jesus was, and then comparing him to to these other uh, self-proclaimed uh, gods or people that, that that turned themselves into God or, or people that turned them into gods. And so it's like I tell the people here in Asia, like Buddha never claimed to be God. And so people, his followers made him into that. Or, you know, here Muhammad comes out, you know, 300, 400 years after Jesus exists. And, uh, and so, you know, all these different things, there was just too much evidence to point uh uh to to christ and uh and then obviously it comes down to jesus was either either the the resurrection happened or it didn't and obviously we we that's what we celebrate uh, you know yesterday or the day before is hey it and again there's just too much evidence that 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 the resurrection happened and uh, and so i am I, I, I like to study history. I like, I, I've always been kind of more or less fascinated uh, with it. Um, and like I tell people, there was just, there, the, 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 the science backs it up, the, 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 the history backs up. And, uh, and Christianity is not a religion so much. Uh, it's not so much just a religious thing that, that helps us get through things. It's, there, there's enough uh uh, science and, and historical evidence to back up what, what we preach. Yeah, I actually just got done preaching through a, a series of sermons here in our church about the resurrection and basically the the evidences for it. And when I was newly saved, um, I got saved when I was 16, but I didn't really get serious about serving Jesus uh, until I was like 18 or 19. And one of the things that caused that particular change in my life was that somebody put a book in my hand by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. And that book uh, presented the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus in a way that I had never seen it before. I And it, you know, it's, it's stuff that's been around in evangelical and uh, uh, what do you call it? apologetic circles for a long time. But, you know, the thought crossed my mind that all of these disciples walked away from Jesus when he went to the cross. They, they all denied. They all, you know, they ran away from him. And then they all died for him. <laughs> and it's like, uh, it's like the question is, w- would you die for a lie? 
And when I, when I caught that, I was like, I, I wouldn't do it. I, if that was me, I wouldn't die telling everyone a lie. I wouldn't die for that. And that's when it clicked that, oh man, this resurrection thing must be real. <laughs> and that's what really put jet fuel in, in me serving the Lord. So it sounds like you were having that experience at 12 years old. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And, and again, I just, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't want to waste too much time. You know, again, at that time, like I said, I was having these nightmares and, and thankfully God completely set me free from that. Um, and, um, but yeah, it, I was 13 years old and, and, uh, at that time, you know, it was also when, uh, I actually, I was, it was a little bit, a little bit earlier at the age of 10, I will, I, I start telling people, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor. And, and I know we hear a lot of kids say that in, in church, but I was, I was very serious about it. And, uh, and so I tell people like I, I before, before I was even saved, really saved and, and really knew what I believed. I knew that somehow, some way God, God had a plan and a purpose for my life. And so. I'm wondering if you, um, you felt like you were, um, older than your age indicated, like uh, having to go through, uh, the situations that you went through, it sounds, and, and then also added to that, that you were, you know, putting in some quality time with, with pastor Ruby on a regular basis. You feel like you grew up faster than normal people normally would. Um, I, I think so. And, uh, and, and I think, uh, the, 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 the adults around me, uh, even at that time would, 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 would have agreed. Um, Again, it was something that that, uh, like I said earlier, it was my my mom and pastor pushed me to, towards learning, and so uh, because I had answers that I had researched and not answers that were given to me, um, I felt a little bit more prepared to be able to uh, uh, hold a conversation for my own. So um, yeah, so you you have a serious. Um encounter with Christ at a very young age at 12 or 13 years old. And how, how does that progress? And, and you, you kind of even already hinted that you were thinking about becoming a pastor at that time. So, you know, what did that look like for you as, as far as, you know, you still got to go to school, you still have to do all the things that kids have to do, but, but what does your discipleship journey look like? And I, I guess what makes it unique? So I, I think um, that decision really greatly influenced uh my my decisions going forward and so uh, i'll never forget i was in the eighth grade and we were going into eighth grade to ninth grade year and we're we're selecting uh you know which classes we're going to take in, in, in high school we were given this um this long sheet of paper and you could select your your electives and and my my only thought was okay what which elective is going to help me um uh, be a pastor what what's going to what classes can I do to uh, help me speak better to help me write better and that was already in the back of my mind uh, one thing I didn't share was when I was young uh, particularly from uh, uh, elementary all the way up until um, high school I had a very uh, not severe but it was pretty bad speech impediment I used a lot of fillers I couldn't speak properly. I used uh, a lot of stuttering, and I knew if I was going to be a preacher, I, I 
I would be harder to follow if, uh, if I had such impediment. And so I began to think, okay, how can I, how can I fix these things? And, and how can I clear my thoughts a little bit better? And, uh, and so it was that transition year, eighth grade to ninth, ninth grade that I said, I'm going to take journalism, uh, really not because I liked writing. I didn't like writing at all. In fact, I hated English, but journalism will help me put my thoughts together. Uh, I can uh, basically write out a story or as I called it, a mini sermon. And um, hey, maybe I'll get the chance to preach to a group of students through my writings, uh, which thankfully God opened that door uh, going forward. And so that was kind of my discipleship on, 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 on the school front. And then obviously, uh, you know, on, on the, the church front, we were having uh, uh, boot camps. And so I began going to the youth boot camp at, at 13 years old. And uh, I will never forget, uh, it was on a, a Wednesday night, I believe, and Pastor had a, a call to, uh, you know, who, want, who will surrender their life to be a missionary, to be a pastor. And uh, at that time, uh, our, our fellowship was uh, sending a lot of missionaries into India. And I was excited. I'm like, hey, maybe I'll end up in India. And uh, in fact, I know Pastor Campbell at the time had several men in, in India. And so uh, that, that was, hey, I, I, I want to be where, where, where revival is happening. And, uh, and so I'll never forget answering that, that call and say, hey, like I'm, I'm being serious. And one day I know I'll, I'll be a missionary. And what do I need to do to position my life for that? Uh, I think as a church kid, again, you have the, the, the backseat row to watch so many people have a calling and they either fulfill it or they don't. And so I'd seen a lot of men who are right there on the cutting edge and then they never get launched out. And so um, I say that because even at, 15 16 years old i thought okay i don't I, I, how do i keep my life progressing to to get uh to get sent out you know how do i don't want to end up one of these guys on, on, on a bystander that that should have been been sent out and uh and so that, that was kind of in the forefront of my mind is every day how can i prepare myself to 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 fulfill the the calling that i know that god's put in my life That, that's powerful. You, you're preparing and you're moving pieces into place uh, very early on in order to eventually fulfill the the calling that God has put on your life. And uh, I think that anybody can take um, take an example from that. That if if you just do a little bit at a time, you don't have to go from a zero to a hundred in a, a day or a month or a year, but through you know, the incremental steps and compounding effect of small changes over time, it can really add up. And and I see that, you know, with you starting early on that, uh, you know, when you sent me the, um, the description of your life and it said in there that you went, uh, you went directly to China at the age of 23 without having pastored or even being a door director, I was kind of surprised, like, whoa, that, that doesn't happen very often, but now I can see how that can happen. Yeah, and I think I so going back to high school, I, I began to think, okay, my high school had uh, four thousand kids, 
this was to me a small town in America. This was my pioneer. And so I'm going to pioneer my high school. And that was kind of my mindset as a freshman. And I was able to use journalism uh, to, to do that. Uh, you know, I knew that I had a, a captive audience of, of 4,000 students plus teachers plus the surrounding area. And, um, and so I remember, thankfully, I was blessed with the Christian teacher and say, hey, can, can I use this to, uh, to, to hit on topics that maybe we're not able to normally hit on? And so I'll never forget when the school said, hey, uh, teachers cannot say uh, Christmas. And, uh, and so I said, can I write an op-ed, uh, my own opinion, on how like the, the true meaning of Christmas? And then at the end, wish everyone a Merry Christmas. And uh, again, thankfully, I had a, not only a, 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 a journalist teacher uh, who was a Christian, but a principal who was as well. And many times he would say, Brent, I can't say these things, but you can say them. And so, um, you know, I, in, in high school, I, I wasn't so much a street preacher, but uh, it's like I tell people, I was able to uh, influence through, through other avenues. Um, and if there's any high school kids that are listening to this, there, there, are, there are ways to, uh, to be an influence in, in your school. Uh, you don't always necessarily have to be the, the, the preacher on the table, or, 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 uh, but there, there, there's different avenues that you, you can do. And, and then even being a part of the, the, the school Bible study. And again, this was just like, hey, like there's all these students here. And... Uh, and, and I'm going to try to witness to them as many as, as we could. When we would do the uh, different, uh, like the hollow, uh, uh, haunted houses or, or different uh, major church outreaches that our church would do, uh, I would go to school and just pass out flyers as many as I, as I could. Again, because this was my, this was my little my little pioneer work, and uh, and so um, you know that, that that was kind of my mindset. Uh, through, through high school. So if you were pioneering in your high school, uh, did you have the same kind of experiences that uh, a first time pioneer going out to pastor a church? Would you come to pastor Ruby with, uh, with all the same kind of questions? Uh, I, well, thankfully I didn't have to go to him about looking for a building or anything like that, uh, or, or financial support. (laughs) Right, but no, I, I I did go to him a, a lot, and uh, and again, how how can we make impact? And so my my last year, uh, uh, I took a class that allowed us to to uh, you basically could intern in any uh, uh, profession that you wanted to. And so there's kids in my uh, class at the time, they were interning to you know they had a mentor that, who was a eye doctor or some that were uh, bankers or whatever, and you got to pick a, a, a mentor. And so I asked my teacher, say, hey, my my profession is to be a pastor. Can I make Pastor Ruby my, uh, my mentor? And she was like, okay. And then at the end, we had to present, uh, we had to do a, 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 a huge speech. And so uh, I remember telling my teacher, I said, well, my, uh, my huge speech is going to be a sermon because, again, this is this is falls in line with with my profession and so uh she's like okay and so i the thing is everyone would do their 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 little speech in in a, in a classroom that held maybe 20 people 
I said, no, I'm, I'm, if I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach. And so I asked my principal, I said, hey, can I use the, the larger room that holds 120 people and invite everyone to it? And so, again, this was my senior year. And, uh, and so, and then through that, uh, also as part of that class, we had to do a major project um, that coincided with our, um, uh, our, uh, our class or our profession. And so I asked Pastor B, I said, hey, um, can I lead an outreach, uh, a concert outreach? And again, I was 17 years old at the time. And I said, but this is because I have to do this class. And so I kind of justified it doing that. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, and, uh, and so, uh, but he's like, if you're going to do it, you're going to arrange the band, you're going to arrange the testimonies, you're, you're going to preach it. And so at 17 years old, uh, I'm arranging my first uh, major, major outreach uh, and having the hot dogs, having everything and, uh, and then pulling the alt call. And so um, it was, one, I was blessed with incredible opportunities. Uh, but two, I think when those opportunities came, I did my best to kind of run with them. And so what, what was kind of my thinking. Well, you can't have a proper outreach without hot dogs. That that's required. <laughs> what's the what's the th- uh, Thailand equivalent of hot dogs on outreach? Oh, what, uh, so um, I think here in Asia, one probably pizza. You know, you can't you usually can't go wrong uh, with, with 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 pizza here. And so yeah, pizza works almost everywhere. <laughs> so. Um, Another question I have for you, which is uh, a question that is common for a lot of church kids who grow up in church and who are saved growing up in church, and that is um, that sometimes it's you can struggle with having a testimony, and because you hear these amazing testimonies, like you mentioned, uh, Roman Gutierrez, and you know the life of of sin that he went through. you know, twice dead and, and, uh, you know, God changed me and and my mother rejected me and, 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 you know, and then I got saved and everything changed, you know? And so I wonder, you know, I, I have dealt with this to some degree, my wife, even more so because she had a similar testimony. She was in church. She never, never went crazy in sin, but, um, you know, having, having to, having to, understand that that your testimony as a church kid is just as powerful because you still were transformed you still had to be born again H- how did you handle that that's a great question and i love to answer that question uh first off if i can speak to older people and especially parents you know uh one of the things i preach about our church in our fellowship is that we believe in uh in baby dedication and, and praying for children uh, uh, you know, shortly after the born or, or, or at a certain age. And so I say that because we pray for these children, hoping that one day that they don't have to have a major testimony like Pastor Roman, that they are protected and sheltered from that. And so, uh, and I say that only because sometimes I've seen in church that people look down on church kids and like, well, you don't have a testimony. You don't know what it's like to, to live. And I'm like, wait, we, we pr- you guys prayed for me as a child. So I wouldn't have to go through that. That's a great point. And so, uh, you know, Pastor Reed dedicated both my brother and I. And uh, and so growing up, you know, you, again, you do hear these testimonies. 
But I thank God that there was people in my life that made sin so sound miserable. Uh, you know, my mom, when she talked about alcohol and her alcoholism addic addiction, she did not make it sound uh, appeasing at all. You know, uh, you know, she would always say uh, beer is, is pee water. That's that's what it is. And so anytime I, I saw a, a cup of alcohol, that's all I can imagine in my head. Uh, you know, uh, she, she there's people around me that that made their sin uh, sound so terrible. And I and I didn't want to go there. And so uh, and so if I can just put in a plug when, when you do share your testimony, don't don't brag about your past. You, you want to make people that are listening to it sound, hey, I never want to go down the life that you went down. And, and so it should be a shameful uh, testimony until God stepped into your life. And so um, and so I appreciate that the people around me made their sins sound so shameful that I didn't want to go down that road. And so I think that's one of the things that 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 helped me and kept me. Now, obviously, you know, when you're going going through school, you know, you are, especially in a public school, you are faced with different quote unquote temptations. Um, and so I always tell people, one, I was never out for drugs or alcohol, really, because I didn't associate with people that did that, those things. And my mom didn't allow me to go to the parties that, that had those, uh, uh, those vices. Um, but yeah, where, where, where was I tempted to, to have a girlfriend, especially when, when people are finding out, hey, you're, you're 15 years old and you've never had a girlfriend. You're 16 years old. You never had a girlfriend. And uh, yeah, there was definitely uh, that temptation. But again, I thank God for for my pastor who, you know, when I had uh, uh, temptations or when uh, when I began, when my mom caught me texting a, a girl from high school and she called this girl and said, my, my son's marrying a, a Christian man or a Christian girl and and uh and until you become a Christian please don't talk to my son at all and the embarrassment that I felt from that uh but again looking back I'm glad that I had people that did that and then lastly I always tell people um ministry saved saved me it it, it did and to an extent because uh, when I joined ministry at a young age 16 years old uh, or 15 years old I I knew my life was going to be held to a different standard. And so um, I, I never, I had seen so many people get set down from ministry and I didn't want that to be a part of my life. Uh, and so every day I woke up thinking, okay, the, the choices I make now could have impact on my ministry. And uh, and so again, that was just kind of my, my, my mindset. And, and, uh, and so I tell people, yeah, it, Yes, I did want to live for God, but at the same time, like saving face in church was also important to me too, and that did help uh, keep uh, keep me from backsliding to to to, to an extent. So, Brent, uh, I, I'm I'm wondering uh, as you're talking here about spiritual battles that that took place in your life because every convert is going to have some along the way. And whether your spiritual battle or your temptation has to do with alcohol or cigarettes or rage or anger, you know, 
or or maybe it's more subtle things. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're a sinner like everybody else. And I'm curious, um, you know, what what uh, what kind of things did God have to conquer in your life for you to maintain this kind of testimony throughout your teenage years and into into ministry? Uh, I, I think one of the things that I I understood early on was that, you know, um, that I was constantly facing and just like most most people they're facing generational curses and we, we believe that God breaks those curses, but we are still a product of our parents. And so the things that my parents went through, uh, I knew that I was going to be tempted with. And so, uh, for example, you, you mentioned anger and rage. And again, it's something that I saw particularly from my father and, uh, something that I, uh, would, uh, once in a while see in my own life, uh, it would just suddenly pop up. And, uh, and it was a reminder, Hey, Brent, like this, you are still your, 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 your father's son, but you know what you, that, that curse has been broken in your life. Um, and so I, I, I think, uh, I think the, the, you know, I think the only major, I wasn't really tempted to go into, into any major sin or anything like that. I think, you know, every young man has their own battle. And, uh, and, and they, 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 they fight through that, uh, which is why we, we have filters on our phones and, and on our computers. Um, but, um, but again, it was being accountable and, and having that accountability with, with, with my parents or with my mom, with, 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 with my pastor. And, uh, and again, I thank God that there was nothing that I could do that could, uh, could escape the eyes of my mother. She had access to my phone. Uh, I thought I knew how to clear cookies and cash and, and messages. Uh, you know, like I said, I, at 15 years old, I decided to have a secret girlfriend, uh, in, in school, which again, it didn't lead to much except a bunch of text messages. But at that time, uh, text messages were 15 cents a text message. I I'm not sure if you remember those days. And, uh, when you send <laughs> that starts to get expensive. Oh Yeah. Yeah, these were before the days of unlimited texting, and and my mom gets a a, a cell phone bill of three hundred dollars of just text messages. Uh, yeah, there was no way to hide that, and so the kids will have to Google that one too. Right, and so uh, so again, I, I had a a mother who who was uh, greatly uh, she she was protective, but she wasn't a, a helicopter mother, and so she let me live life. But I knew if I got in trouble, it, it, I didn't want to be in trouble. Let's just say that, you know, she, she put the fear of God in me uh, through her. And, and I'm, I'm always grateful for that. So um, one observation that I have learned over the years and, and through some study and reading a few books is that uh, firstborns of the family tend to be more of the perfectionists. They tend to be the A-type personalities, the kind that, you know, that can work well for you where you're, you're driven to success and those kinds of things. But it can also be a negative because uh, when you don't achieve all the things that you want to achieve, then you can really start to beat yourself up. I'm speaking from experience now. Um, do, do you recognize those kinds of things in you as well? Um, to an extent, um, I think, uh, so I was the kind of the, the perfectionist child. My brother, my younger brother, Patrick, was, was a wild child. Uh, but uh, again, um, I thank God that my mom didn't hold me to to a, a, a different or a higher standard. 
And so uh, she, she understood and she recognized our giftings. And, uh, and so I say that because in school, I wasn't the, the, the smartest uh, kid on the block. My, my brother was, uh, you know, he was significantly a little bit smarter at, at his age than, than, than I was at his age. And so I think for probably having an older brother helped out with that. But my mom, thankfully, she, she said, hey, Brent, I understand that you're at this level and I'm going to work with that. And so I, I never really felt um, that pressure uh, to, to, uh, to, to do that. I'll never forget, you know, my mom in high school was a, was a, a track athlete. And, uh, and my first day of high school, she took me to the track and said, hey, this is where I exceeded. This is where I made uh, all state. But whatever path you decide to go on, I will completely support that. And so, uh, so again, my, my path was greatly different, even than my, than my brother's. My brother was the star athlete. He would, he, uh, you know, that's what he, his life uh, became up until college. Uh, whereas I was, hey, I'm going to be the little preacher and uh, I'm going to be the journalist and let's see what, what God, God does with that. And, uh, and so I, I, I don't think I really... Uh, I think every person goes to their own levels of insecurity, but I had enough people around me uh, assuring what I was doing was right. Uh, that kind of gave me the confidence to keep going forward. Amen. So we have focused so far on your your early uh, teens and your adolescent years. And so I'm curious what life had for you as you started to get a little bit older, got out of school, graduated, had to start working. Or what came next for you? So, um, so at 16 years old, 17 years old, um, I told Pastor Reed, uh, I'll never forget, it was a teenage Bible study. Uh, he did the youth Bible study at the time. I said, Pastor, uh, I'm, I'm going to be a preacher just like you, and uh, I'm going to uh, graduate high school, get married at 18, get sent out at 21. And he kind of laughed at that. Um, and he said, no, you, you need to go to college. And, and I hated school at the time, and, and he said, you really need to go to college. I, th I think I think you you would do really good in school, and so uh, that is actually you know I, I don't I don't know that I've ever heard a pastor give that advice to a young person. I mean, not that it's bad advice or something, but but there you know there was a history way back when that there was a time in the fellowship that that was even kind of discouraged that you go to college, you're not serious about your faith. Can, can you can you uh, say why why you think pastor ruby gave you that advice yeah i i because again i grew up under the the a lot of preachers who who uh again it was hey if you're serious about your calling school will kind of set you back and uh i think again at that time i was one of the highest ranked journalists uh in america uh and uh, and so uh i believe that one um uh, I was already writing for, for the, the local uh, newspaper, the San Antonio Express News uh, at the time. And so um, I think, one, he understood, hey, like, you, if you're going to continue this uh, you're, and be influential through your journalism, then uh, you're not going to just do it out of high school. You're going to need a, a, a college. So the, the, the newspaper isn't going to just continue to hire this, this high school kid. You're going to need some education behind you. 
And then two, I think he also understood, hey, this will greatly uh, uh, help develop you even more um, as, as a man and, and kind of help you grow uh, uh, to whatever God has for you. And so uh, I share that story because uh, almost going back to what you said, I'd seen so many people go to college and get into debt over going to college. And then that, that pushed them back from their calling. And so, again, I was a junior in high school at the time, and I said, well, if I'm going to go to school, then I'm going to go to school debt-free. I, I don't want to carry any debt with me. And uh, because when, when I do get that chance to go out, I don't want to have student loans on, you know, I'm having to take care of. And so I began to apply for every scholarship that I possibly could. Every, nearly every day I was, I was writing a letter or, or doing some sort of application. And thankfully, by my senior year, uh, I had accumulated enough small scholarships to to cover four years of, of college, and so um, um, it was it was a, that's quite remarkable. Yeah, it, it was it was hard work. Again, I, I was not an A student. I did not graduate at the top of my class, uh, but uh, but again, I, I, I was more or less driven, and so I spent two years at community college. And then, uh, and then again, my, my vision is I'm going to be a pastor. So I began taking every speech course that I could get my hands on, every English course, anything that's going to help develop me uh, as a future uh, pastor, I'm, I'm going to do this. And then I finished two years um, at uh, UTSA. Uh, I tell people I did four years but never graduated. And so uh, I, I, I majored in uh in in speech and communications and i also uh majored in, in volleyball uh, but i i had no interest in the math and the sciences and apparently you need that to graduate and so uh, uh but uh it did greatly help me and i don't regret the four years especially because i walked away a better speaker a better writer and debt free Oh, so so even though you didn't get the piece of paper that has your name on it, you you got what you needed out of those years. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and again, it was it was a time for me to develop. Um, at that same time, I began working at a fast food restaurant, which was great for me because again, I I was this I was this kid who everyone kind of looked up to uh, and saw as this bright kid, and now I'm working at fast food, and, and that was me having to humble my pride uh, because, uh, you know, getting working in a greasy restaurant and then even having people from church come to, to the restaurant uh, and see me there, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't who I saw myself was. But it was great because I, working in that uh, environment, it, it taught me hard work. It taught me hard work for a little money. And, and I'm grateful for that. And so I did that through through uh through college um my schedule in college was took my first class at 6 30 in the morning and then uh took my last class at two and then worked four to midnight and and then repeat and so uh it was it was definitely a very difficult uh two to three years of my life but i knew it was going to be temporary and so after that um, I had the opportunity to start working for my mother. Uh, I actually had created an ad campaign for uh, the fast food restaurant that I worked at. 
and they were so happy with all the money that I was bringing them that they gave me a $50 gift card to Walmart. And I was like, come on guys, I know you guys can do better. I'm, I'm literally bringing lots of money to you guys through Twitter. And, uh, and so my mom said, Hey, I'll hire you, uh, on a commission base. And, uh, and so I went and worked for my mom for her, uh, uh, expedited passport agency. And so, uh, through that was able to bring in several large companies, uh, uh, to her business. And, uh, and so then that, uh, that led me all the way up until, uh, I began courting my wife. Well, I do, but but before we get there, we're we're gonna say goodbye to our free listeners. And uh, if you want to hear about that crazy uh, journey and what God has next for Pastor Brent Harris, you're gonna have to hit the subscribe button that is down there below in the subscription. Hey, it's only three bucks a month. We used to pay a dollar for every sermon that we wanted to keep, but now you can uh, pay three bucks a month and you get sermons every day. And by the way, Testimony Tuesdays. And by the way, we're not keeping any of it. It's all going to world evangelism. So it's a win-win, win-win of sorts. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we are back, our our premium subscribers are going to hear the rest of this story. So we'll talk to you soon. You've reached the end of the preview of this Testimony Tuesday episode. If you want to hear the second half of this interview, please use the links in the show notes to subscribe. You'll get daily sermons, full testimonies, and an interruption-free listening experience. And every dollar goes to world evangelism. Thanks for listening to this episode of Testimony Tuesday on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.